Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I ask if you'd stand with me for the last time this year for the reading of God's Word. Being out of Luke chapter 4. Jesus, he, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, the time like now, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me, that's a messianic term, anointing, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stops. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Father, I pray your anointing on your word, but also on just our time here, this, just this few moments of time, that your spirit would linger and shape our thinking and our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm sure you recognize um, the song that was just played. It is um, Auld Lang Syne. And um, as much as we're still kind of in the Christmas element, the reality is is that this is our last Sunday in this year. And we're going to transition very shortly into an entirely brand new year. And this song to me has always had such a nostalgic feel to it. There's a uh, there's a little bit of a sadness, but also a sweetness to it. It kind of depends, I guess, on what you're thinking about or what you're remembering. Um, Auld Lang Syne, uh, kind of, a, it's a Scottish thing, and it goes back to like the 1700s or so. Robert Burns uh, originally put it into the National Registry, but he acknowledged even that he didn't write it, that it was actually something he came across from an old man, that it had been kind of banging around the countryside for possibly another century or so before that. He's just the one that took it and actually wrote it down and put it into um, the national identity. And it's sung now or played, especially in Scotland, um, but as the Scottish moved around the world, it became kind of a worldwide phenomenon. And Auld Lang Syne, we sing it, do we even understand what it means? Um, it, Auld Lang Syne means old, long sense. Uh, it can mean for the sake of old times. And um, the thing that it evokes, the thing that it kind of provokes into your mind is about two friends catching up over a drink or two. And uh, their friendship has been long and maybe even occasionally distant, and they haven't been in the same town or same place. And so they now gather together, and they're just catching up. And it evokes this sense of belonging and of fellowship, tinged with a little bit of, of nostalgia, perhaps. And if you were to try to go through the 
original Scottish on this, it would drive you nuts. But let me give you at least a portion of this in, in, in the English portion. So, uh, should old acquaintance be forgot, never brought to mind? Question mark. Should old acquaintance be forgot? And old long sign, all long censor, for the sake of old times? For old lang syne, my dear, for old lang syne. We'll take a cup of kindness yet for old lang syne. And then it goes on in English, and surely you'll buy your pint cup, and surely I'll buy mine. You have to remember it's Scottish. And we'll take a cup of kindness yet for the sake of old times. Now, the next phrase in the Scottish goes, We twa hae run about the brice, and we put the goins fine, and we wandered money a weary fit, sin days of lang syne. And I'm sure you got that. Translates out as, we too have run about the slopes and picked the daisies fine, and we've wandered many a weary foot since Auld Lang Syne. Next one in the Scottish goes, And we two had pale the burn and frae morning sun till dine, but seas between us braid hath roared since day of Auld Lang Syne. And again, I'm sure you got that, but in case you didn't, we too have paddled in the stream from morning till dine, but seas between us broad have roared. Since Auld Lang Syne, that one, there's been a, a, a distance and much has gone on and, and there's even seas that have separated us since the longest days. And it closes with, and here's, my trust, here's a hand, my trusty friend, give me a hand of thine and we'll take a right goodwill draught or drink for Auld Lang Syne for old time's sake. And so this evokes, as I said, two friends that maybe even have lost touch over the years but have come together, found each other once again, and they take this moment to, to step aside and remember their relationship, to revive that relationship. And they have a little bit of a drink. Now, mugs to me are kind of a spiritual thing for me. I, I've got a collection, and I have friends that give me mugs, and that's great. And I value them because of the friends who give them to me. <clears throat> but there are those that I've picked up over the years, and each one of them has a story behind it. Each one of them relates to a, a specific place in the world that I've been to or to a relationship or something of that type. This one is particularly special with me. This one is um, from Oxford, uh, England. And it um, represents a time when uh, a dear friend of mine and I were actually in England together and we'd gone up to Oxford and had explored where Tolkien and Lewis and all those guys hung out. And I bought this mug and my friend bought his as well too and we have this, this sharing of that. And so whenever I have this, uh, and it's a favorite of mine, just for a number of reasons, I just remember that friendship. And we can top and take a drink, and you can project what I'm drinking to whatever your thoughts are. Maybe it's eggnog, maybe it's coffee, maybe I went full Scottish today, I doubt it, but... (laughs) But the idea of just gathering together... The idea of what it means to sit down with a good friend and renew a friendship, to remember. And so today I want to talk to you about remembrance and renewal. We'll come back to this passage in Luke. But first I want to acknowledge that this past year of 2021, it's been a tough year. There's been loss. There's been conflict. There's been division, confusion. All sorts of stuff have twirled in the midst of this. And that may have just been your Christmas dinner yesterday with family. 
And so there's a point of, of lamenting that's appropriate, and we go to Lamentations chapter 3, and maybe this catches you where you're at or where you've been in this past year. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. And maybe for you, you stop there, and that would be a mistake because Scripture should always be read in context. And if this is where you've stopped with your life, then today I hope that you move past this point, whatever loss you've had in this year. I'll remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. But the scripture goes on and says, yet this I call to mind. I remember. Even though I remember those other things that have happened, I specifically make an effort to call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. What is it that he calls to mind that gives him hope that overcomes these other memories? Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. This promise that they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will have my hope in him. This idea that that these mercies are new every morning. The phrase that's used here is a Hebrew word that I won't bother you with, but it basically means never before experienced. And so in other words, today's mercy that started this morning for you and for me is different from yesterday or the day before or the day before. In the same way that, that, that we find, whether it's flu or COVID or something else, that we need maybe a new vaccination. Every, every flu season, you get the booster, you get the new one, because the strain has changed in some way. And so to combat it, we have something else. And, and, and in the same way, there's a new strain, if you will, of mercy every morning. Why? Because we are incredibly creative creatures, and we find new ways to sin every single day different from the time before. We stumble into those and we incorporate those. And because of that, there's this new mercy. Isn't that fantastic that even though we find new ways to sin, that God has a new vaccine for that, a new mercy to affect that particular strain every single day? How many times has God mercied you? Or has mercied me? If you were to figure it out and count it out, not in years, but in days, because they're new every morning, then it's a some, some number of the kind of mercy that you've received up to date. For example, by the time you're 21, you will have experienced 7,665 unique mercies special for you. When you hit midlife, it numbers 14,600 And by the time you hit retirement, God has mercied you catch this 23,725 times. That's the degree of grace and mercy that God has for us. That every single day, his mercy is new. It lifts us up. It strengthens us. Whatever happened in this holiday season, whatever happened in this past year, you have his promise that Every single day, he's going to greet you with new mercy and new grace, new forgiveness, a new beginning. Every morning ends the night. Every morning brings a new day. Every morning brings a new provision for the day. And every morning brings new forgiveness for new sins. And every morning gives us new strength for new situations and new circumstances. He provides for us. But... 
what happens if if we stay rooted in the lamentations? What happens if if we get lost in the midst of this? What happens if if we reject the idea of our own sin, our own need for a savior, even? John writes about this in First John chapter one. He says, "If we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we're without sin, we don't need that mercy every day. We're just fine, God. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful. You'll see this word over and over again: faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness." But if we deceive ourselves, what hope is there in that? How many of you, I'm just going to check our educational system here right now, because I, 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 I know a certain generation will know this. I'm curious to see how deep the understanding goes. How many of you have heard of candid camera? I have hope for our education system, because basically those of you that are under 40 shouldn't have a clue, okay, on this issue. Candid camera, and the guy's name was Alan Funt. Candid Camera actually started as a radio program originally, shortly after World War uh, um, II. Alan Funt would interview these soldiers coming back from the war, and it was, uh, it was entitled something like uh, um, The Gripe Booth. And, and they would share their gripes about military service. And this was this radio broadcast. But he found that they were pretty wooden when they actually got onto the microphone. And so um, he found that they were more candid if they thought the microphone was off. So he'd say, well, the microphone's off. Let's just warm up and practice a little bit. And the guys were far more open in expressing what they were going to express. And so he would do that, and then he would present that to the radio audience. And then later it became a television program, and and it became that presentation. Well, it was kind of good in a way, but there were those that found it interesting, but there were a lot of other people felt that he was kind of um, lying to these guys or violating their privacy and intruding. And, and so as things went on, it kind of morphed into this candid camera radio show, later a television verse, uh, version, and he, he did something different that was brand new at the time. It seems normal to us today, but it was radical. And it was called The Reveal. And so at the end of each segment, he'd say to them, smile, you're on candid camera. And that line became you know, a major thing. It dramatically, that single change dramatically changed the show. What was once now viewed as an invasion of privacy now was transformed into just a kind of a harmless, amusing prank of some type. And the reveal that the ones that were being pranked in on the joke. I say it seems very intuitive now, but this was radical for its time period, this first reality show ever. Imagine the episode of Punked where Ashton Kutchner uh, is convinced managed to convince Justin Timberlake, he doesn't know that Ashton's behind this, that all his possessions are being repossessed live by the IRS. And if you saw that episode, Justin's just on, the, on, his, on his porch just weeping. He's lost everything. And that would just be terrible until Justin comes out and says, you've been punked, brother. And suddenly, I don't even know how Ashton's alive, personally, today. I have no idea. And, 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 uh, but, but, but Justin's so relieved by it all and, and it lets everyone in on the joke and what's happening. That one tweak of the reveal changed Canon Camera. Instead of a low-rated show that was bounced from network to network, it became one of the most watched shows of the 1960s. So where does that take us? Well, it takes us up to this point now. In 1969, at the height of its uh, um, popularity, Alan Funt, his wife, and his two children took a plane from Newark to Miami. 
except they never got to Miami. On the flight, at one point in time, a man jumps up, holds a knife to the stewardess's throat, and declares a hijacking. He takes over the plane, goes into the cockpit. Everyone's stunned. Everyone's sitting there quiet, not knowing what's going to take place next. And this was a time when hijackings were more common, especially to Cuba. Everyone's quiet until one woman notices Alan Funt. And once she notices Alan Funt, she sits up and says, Wait a second. We're not being hijacked. This is a candid camera stunt. And everybody starts to laugh. Everyone starts to joke. Everyone starts to ask him, would you sign our stuff here? Here's our airstick pads. Sign our thing here. And he's trying to convince them, this is not a joke. I've got nothing to do with this. This is live. This is real. The destination that you think you're going to is not where you're going to end up. None of them believe him. They all begin to joke and laugh. In fact, the, the laughter gets so loud at one point in time in parting that the hijacker actually sticks his head outside the cockpit to see what's going on, and they all applaud him. What a great performance. Remember, this is all real. This is actually happening. They're not going to end up in Miami. It got so much so, actually, that there was even a priest who wasn't buying Alan's denunciations of it. He said this, you can't get me, Alan Funt. Oh, no, you don't. This is all the joke, and you got us. Where's the camera? You're not catching me. They held this up for several hours until they landed in Havana. And then once they landed in Havana and the soldiers circled the aircraft, now there's the reveal. And they realize that the whole time that this was true, They didn't believe him the whole time. They completely blew it off. Now, here's the really interesting twist to me on this, is that in the midst of all this stuff, after it's done, after it's finished, and they're getting off the plane, a lot of them went past Alan Fun on the way out, and they were all angry with him. Everyone's angry at Alan. Like somehow he caused this whole thing. Like it was something he did, and he, he had nothing to do with it. They're angry at him. The whole time he was trying to tell them, this is real. You're not going to the destination that you think. And they continue to ignore him the whole time until getting off the plane. And then when they get off, they're angry with him. I I find this funny. Some of you guys maybe don't. I also find it very sad. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. God tries to break into our thinking and he tries to arrest where we're at And we think it's a joke. We think we know where we're going, and he's trying to tell us the whole time through prophets, through Jesus himself, through all these things. No, you're not going where you think you're going. You've been hijacked by an enemy of your soul, and you're not going where you think, and we ignore, ignore. And then when we find that we do face it sometimes, when we're angry with him and Scripture or those who would intervene in our lives, then we are accepting of it. If we claim we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he'll forgive us our sins. And now this takes us back to Jesus in Nazareth. He steps up and he reads this passage of scripture. And the passage of scripture is a messianic passage. He's anointed me. It's actually a quotation. As we said, he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. The guy's handing him the book. He's reading this. Now, here's the interesting thing that we really would have caught people's attention is when he, he closes with, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's a little bit like reading something and 
Just stopping right there. See, the rest of the passage in Isaiah goes on, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. It's a judgment issue. And so when he stops in the middle of it, it's like saying uh, a stitch in time saves... Nope, we just stopped. <laughs> okay? A penny saved is... And we just stop. And you're, you're, you're sitting here going, it's earned. It saves us time. You, know, you, you, you want to finish it. And they're sitting here going, but he stopped. It's really critical that he stopped about the year of the Lord's favor. You see, there was another feature about Judaism that goes way back to when they were first formed and Moses gets, Moses gets the law. When he gets the law, he is told that, that everyone is supposed to honor um, the Sabbath. That every seven days, there's to be this day of rest. Okay, we got that, right? We all know about Sabbath and seventh day you rest, right? There was also supposed to be something of seven years. If you were a farmer, which almost everyone was, you had seven lots of property. You're supposed to divide your property into seven lots. Work six, let the one rest. Work these next six, let this one rest. Work these next six. And so every seven years, there was a rotation of the land to restore the land and give it a rest. So it wasn't just a seven day. It was also supposed to be a seven year process. And then there was something that was really unique and incredibly interesting. They would have the, not just the seven and the seven years, but then the seven times seven years. On the 50th year, there was something called the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was a really unique event. We have no indication that Israel ever followed it. But on the year of Jubilee, on that 50th year, not just the Sabbath, not just the seven-year rest, but now this 50th year, on this particular day, all debts are canceled. You guys look like a group that would really appreciate that. Imagine that. All debts. We've talked about student loans. All debts. Your student loans wiped out. Your mortgage is cleared. Your car is free and clear. All debts are forgiven in that 50th year. The next one may sound a little twitchy at first to you. All prisoners are set free. And I was like, what? I'm not sure I like that part. All these murderers and rapists and violent people chasing around the streets and stuff. But here's what you have to understand about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament time period, the only people that were imprisoned were those who couldn't pay their debts. Well, what happened to all these other ones? Uh, you violated these other laws, they, you were killed. It was done. And so th- they would radically handle that. So those that were in prison were debtors. They're ones that owed a debt. And now they're set free. That was the only thing that put you in, in, in jail. Everything else they killed you for. And then on top of this, all land is given back to those who originally possessed it. There's this redistribution of land. And everyone who lost their land, they couldn't afford it, whatever the case was and it happened, it was all restarted. Jubilee was a brand new start for the entire society. For those who had lost out in life's race, it was a chance to get a new beginning, a point of hope. It was the year of Jubilee. It was a transformational time. And when Jesus is coming and he's sitting here and saying that he's anointed me, I'm the Messiah, to proclaim good news to the poor because they're the ones oppressed on this, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners of the dead, to recover sight for those who can't see and realize they oppressed her to be free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he stops, and he doesn't go to the judgment phase. Instead, he's saying, this is the year of Jubilee. This is the year where the prisoners are set free. This is the year where you get your land back. 
This is the year when all the debts are canceled. And he stops there. Judgment is still coming. Here's the thing. He still stopped there. Judgment is coming. But we are still in the year of our Lord's favor. We are still in the year of jubilee where forgiveness of debt, grace, all these things are available. The term jubilee, they think, means a trumpet blast of liberty. It was supposed to start on the first day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, when you would atone for your sin. They would blow on the ram's horn, and that was supposed to launch the year of jubilee, a trumpet blast of liberty. It's been also said in English to translate out as a shout for joy or a victory cry. That there was supposed to be some type of a release that was of such a nature that it frees up everyone. Here's the thing. Kind of an Alan Funt moment again. Jesus says this to them and he sits down and they don't believe him. They don't believe he's Messiah. They don't believe that he's got the right to declare jubilee. They ignore the trumpet blast and the shout of victory. They instead talk among themselves and convince themselves that, that he's wrong. And then they take him to the edge of a cliff. And I've been on this cliffside. And it's an incredible drop, one of the most incredible scenes. The whole valley stretched up. And they're going to toss him off. They're going to kill him. They reject and can't believe he's trying to tell them, your lives have been hijacked, and, and I've come to set it right. I've come to put you in the place where you were meant to be and who you were meant to be. Would you listen to me? Would you please pay attention? It's the year of Jubilee. This is the time when debts are to be forgiven. Prisoners are to be set free. This is what I'm here for. And they say, oh, we're not buying any of that. You can't fool us. And they're going to toss them off the cliff. Instead, something of his nature is such a way that he looks at them, and they're frozen in place, and he walks right past them and walks out of the setting. But they lose in the moment. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we acknowledge that we have an incredible debt, then there's this incredible freedom that comes when he pays off that debt. It says that our consciences are clean. If we go on in the scripture then, that we find this, that in Hebrews chapter 10, then this passage becomes real to us. Let us then draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful when we when we acknowledge our sin, when we hear the voice of God, when we realize this is real and not fake, that our, our future's been hijacked and he wants to restore it to us, when we repent of those things, then we can draw near to God. And he draws us close. Isaiah, at one time in the prophet, he says, let's sit down, God says to us, and, and talk. Let's, let's have a cup together. Let's sit down and, and reason. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Let's sit down for a moment. Let's have a time of of just just rest. The Messiah announces that he's here to heal the damage that sin brings. Sin's done such great damage, so there needs to be a great work of redemption. And it's going to be Christ, the sacrifice of his life. And so we end up then being able to come before and be a part of things then again. Odd Lang Syne. This gathering together where we sit down, 
where we meet with someone perhaps that we haven't been in a relationship with for a while, but the relationship's still there, lurking underneath, and, and we take the time to recall the moments. I, I love this time of year because like, like last night, Friday night, there were so many people that were here that, that were old friends that I haven't seen for a long time, and they came back to visit family or came back to visit here. One of my best friends of all time it just was, was here. Just, just having that time, nothing, it's like picking right back up again. And so here's the deal. This service is almost over. You're going to get out early. I don't know where you're going to go. Everything's closed. But you're going to get out early. Okay? But in the moments we have here, I want to call to you a time of remembrance and a time of renewal. Many of us in this room, you've been a follower of Christ your whole life or for a lengthy period of time. But in this last season of time, your lament has drowned out his offerings of mercy. Whatever the case, too busy, too much hurt, distraction, whatever the case is, you know that you've been distant. And that one phrase in the song that says there's been oceans that have, that have poured out between you and me. There's a separation that's been. But couldn't we gather again and, and sit down and have a cup together again? And just remember where we were. And maybe we can come back to that place again. For those of us that are in that spot, this is an opportunity this morning to acknowledge that there's been some separation between God and us. That while we are saved, while we're conscious of all those things, there's been a distance. There's been aspects that have worked into our own lives that shouldn't be there. And this is the invitation to come back and, and just to sit and say, hey, can we just... Sit down, God says, let's, let's reason together. Whatever your sin is, whatever it's been, whatever you've allowed to separate us, we can work that out. There's nothing scary, no thundering mountain, no scary stuff, just, just you and me in a cup or two. Let's talk it out. There's another grouping of people that are here and, and, and that I think are present, and, and these are individuals that... You've never really committed your life to God. Not really. You may have followed some religious form or maybe ignored it entirely. Or maybe you're like the people on the plane. You just thought the whole thing was one big joke the whole time and you still maybe do on some level. But something here this morning maybe, maybe it's been the scripture. I believe it would be the Holy Spirit more than anything else is speaking to you and challenging you. And you're realizing, I don't have a relationship with God. Not really. And I do have sin. Maybe you've even been afraid to approach God. Or maybe you've laughed the whole thing off wherever it's at. Here we are, this last Sunday of the year. You can walk from here. Free will... It's a great thing. There's times also that, to be blunt, it really sucks. Because we do things then that we shouldn't do. Or you can take this opportunity, and you can sit down, and you can say, God, I want to open a dialogue. You and me. They say that you're faithful. It says that you've come to set people free to relieve debt the oppressed. Your word sits here and, and, and says that, that 
You'll be faithful and forgive you, my sins, no matter what they are, no matter how dark. See, there are those of us that are in the circle and we need to renew our relationship, but there are those that have never been a part of this. And here's the thing the Scotch do at the end of the year is they gather and sing the song, they hold hands, and they'll sing Auld Lang Syne. And then one point in time, they, they, they will cross their hands and take each other and they rush into the center of the circle. And I'm sure they laugh themselves silly. You've never been part of that circle, but this morning God's inviting you to be part of that circle. He's inviting you to come and take hold of the hands of believers who have gathered over the centuries and to acknowledge God as your Savior. To have this next year be a radically different year than what this year has been. And so here, in these closing moments of this 2021, in the midst of our lament, His mercies are new every morning. And so I ask, would you bow your head and would you pray with me for a moment? And I ask this before we pray. First of all, for those of you who are followers of Christ, but you know there's been a distance. And as Auld Lang Syne has played out, you find it sad because you know that you're not where you used to be with your Savior. The lament has drowned out the, mis- the mercies and your own issues have taken sway. But this morning, you're hearing his voice. And this morning, you want to repent of that. You want to reopen and renew that relationship. If that's you this morning, with no one looking around, please, just quickly raise your hand up to your God this morning, wherever you're at. That's right. Just own it this morning. Just lift it up before him. Anyone else? Real quick. And now, again, with no one looking around, there's that other group. There are those of us who we know we've not been followers. We've been outside the circle. But this morning, as, as the song is played, we want to draw into the circle. We want to repent of our sin. We want, to, we want a new destination for our lives than the one that was hijacked so long ago. We're going to stop the laughter and the ridicule and the cynicism. We're going to believe, for the first time, we're going to believe that Jesus is the Son of God sacrifice for not just the sins of the world, but for my sin. And no matter how dark that sin is, that he'll be faithful to forgive me if I come forward and ask it. And this morning, with no one looking around, if that's you and you're prepared to ask that forgiveness of him, quickly, just lift your hand up before God. Okay? Anybody else? Real quick. On the balcony. Just quickly. Again, no one looking around. Anyone else? Anyone else? Quick. Then, Lord, we come before you. Lord, we bring our cups of of sin and self-centeredness and all the things that we've poured into it, and we pour it out at your feet, all our sin, all our darkness, all our regret, all the lament, and we pour it out at your feet today, and we offer our cup to you, and we say, God, fill us with your joy. We need a new mercy. And so, Lord, for these believers, I pray right now as they repent and lay that at your feet that you would give them tangible ways to renew the relationship, that you'd renew a spirit within them of joy and of, and of love and of grace, and they would sense once again your presence. And as you fill their cup, Lord, that, that we would sit down with you and we'd renew our friendship, that no longer would there be oceans that would separate us but that we'd walk hand in hand once again. 
And for those individuals, Lord, that for the first time would take this moment, this last Sabbath, this last time of 2021, this last of the holy days of this year, and would say, I want to accept you, Christ. I want to be part of the circle. I need forgiveness of sin. I, my, my, my future's been hijacked, and I want it back. I want what you want for me, and I will laugh no more. There's no more of the cynic in me. I am poured out before you. Here's my cup. Lord, I pray that you fill their cup overflowing with mercy and grace and forgiveness and joy. Seat them next to you. Let them enter the circle, I pray, of your grace and forgiveness this morning. We come to you as a people. And thank God you are faithful even when we are not. Even when we are not. Especially when we are not. You are ever faithful. So we take this time to remember and to renew. As we close out this year, call you to continue to have a time of remembrance and renewal. Just a few days left and we go into a brand new season. Let this be a year of jubilee for you. Let this be a year that you recognize that your debts are forgiven. Let it be a time when you are free to become the person God intended you to be. Approach it with fresh eyes and realize every morning there's a new mercy there waiting for you. Whatever's happened the night before, Whatever's going to happen in the day to come, God's made provision for it. And so here, I leave you with this out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And then this out of Psalm, the 26th. For I've always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. So Father, as we conclude this year, as we go into this next, I pray God that we would remind ourselves and that your spirit would remind us. I pray that you'd solidify whatever actions and decisions were made here today. That as we approach this year, that it would be a year of jubilee for us as individuals and for this church. We commit this, and I commit these people into your hands, and myself included, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the church said, Amen. Now, you know we're going into a brand new year, so you got to make it louder than that. So one, two, three, I want to hear it. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas day after. Happy New Year coming.